So my title today is Jesus' Shocking Words About the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the camel and eternal life in Luke 18 and verses 18 to 30. And today's question is, can a camel gain eternal life? Actually, that's not actually today's question. That's just, I just love the camel there. Um, So actually, my goal today is to see why Jesus could have lost his life over his statement about the Old Testament and how you might lose yours. So we've been looking for uh, a year or so now at the Old Testament. And one of the important questions is, how did Jesus regard the Old Testament? And this is one of the most remarkable and powerful statements that Jesus made. And he could well have lost his life. In fact, he did lose his life for making similar statements to this. So we're going to do three things. We're going to look at the artistry in the amazing beauty of the way this is written. We're going to look at the truth that's contained in the story of eternal life on the camel. And we're going to look at the message about Jesus calling us to do the impossible. So first of all, we're going to read And uh, we start off by a ruler coming to Jesus. Now, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to pay attention because I'm going to ask you when Jesus answers that question. When does that question get answered and what is the answer? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became extremely sad, became very sad for he was extremely wealthy. When Jesus noticed this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, look, we've left everything and followed you. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, of God's kingdom, who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Okay. Did anybody spot where Jesus answered the question and what it was? Come on, you spotted it? 
Somebody spot what it, what it was? How do you gain eternal life, yeah? Which verse? Nope. Nobody actually says this is how you gain eternal life. Anybody spot it, yeah? Okay, you're on to the right sort of thing, but Jesus explicitly says, do this and you'll get eternal life. It's the last verse. Those who, who do these things will receive many more times in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's how it ends. So this is very interesting because we have, we have like bookends, the question and the answer at the beginning and the end. And we can summarize it like this. Certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then we have this radical new teaching from Jesus. And then we have Jesus said, those who would receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So we have something in the middle, which is really, really important. Three weeks ago, I looked at Psalm 20. And I showed you the way Psalm 20 is structured with a beginning and ending and then kind of gradually coming down to a point in the middle that's like the center focus and then just after the middle a new idea being introduced. And I said this was very common in ancient literature to use this kind of structure. The technical term is inverse parallel. Some people call it chiasm. It's, um, it's uh, something very commonly found, not just in, in Hebrew writing, but also in some other cultures as well. And Luke is an artist. Luke is um, someone who has done some amazing, when you look at the way he's written Luke's gospel, it's not just factual, but he's organized material in a way that is quite unique in the New Testament. There's some of it in John as well, but Luke is quite amazing. In fact, there's a book, I've left it down here. um, I just brought this to show you. So this is... um, this is a, a classic work on the subject. It's by a guy called Kenneth Bailey. It's called Poet and Peasant, uh, a literary cultural approach to the parables in Luke. And uh, it's an amazing book that goes through Luke's gospel showing you this kind of thing. And we can see this. I'm going to start off then this morning by giving you an overview of this. So here's the structure. We start off, how do I get eternal life in verse 18? And then we have the cost of the law what the law required in verses 19 through 21. Then we have the new obedience in verse 22. And then the new obedience is impossible. Then we have in 24 and 25 the parable of the camel and the needle's eye. Then we have another statement, the new obedience is impossible, but, and here's the new idea, but possible with God. Then we have another statement of the new obedience that reflects the first one. And then we have the cost of following Jesus reflecting the first one in a quite an amazing way that I'll, I'll show you in a minute. And then we have a statement, this is how you get eternal life. So what's quite remarkable about this um, work of Luke is not just that he's, he's arranged it in this lovely parallel structure, but it packs a punch that could have got Jesus killed right then and there when you see what, what's happened, what he's done. And um, so uh, 
what uh, what I'd like to do then another another interesting thing is when you when you see this sort of structure a good a good um, indication is you're on the right track is that the some point at the right at the beginning is answered right at the end by something new that's happened in the middle, and right in the very middle of these sort of structures is something that is particular, like a like a jewel and a diamond in the middle of a setting. And this, in this case, it's this beautiful parallel, this parable rather. So we're going to go through A, B, C, um, and then we're going to go through. Um, uh, D, E, and D, and then C, B, A. I'm going to take you through these in order. So, Jesus' shocking words. We've looked at the artistry. Now we're going to look at the truth by seeing how this works, and we'll end up by looking at the message. So, here's the the question then. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And... uh, it's a good teacher was um, an unusual address and it's kind of flattering and he's maybe expecting a flattering answer in response. A great ruler, this is what you do. But actually, um, <laughs> Jesus, why do you call me good? No one's good apart from God, which is a kind of a putting pressure on him at this, this point to just think through what he's saying. Um, uh, then... Uh, uh, Jesus says, no one's good apart from God. And then Jesus says something which surprised that. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Um, why is he only given five commandments? Can you think of, I mean, he's missed the last one, do not covet. And he's missed the first four. Uh, well, let me suggest to you, Jesus is deliberately going to make a point here. And he's giving the five that are easiest for somebody to say, yes, I've done that. Yeah, I've never murdered anybody. No, I've never stolen or committed adultery, at least on the surface. If he added covet in there, that would be more of a sin of the the, the mind, a bit more difficult to say you've not done it. But he's, he's going to be making a point here. So... Uh, I, I'm, I suggest this is why he's limited it here. Now, has the man kept these laws? He says, I've wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. Has he kept them? Tell me. On paper, probably. Okay. Now, what we would expect Jesus to do here is um, to to jump on him and say, you know, Actually, it was said to you, but but I say to you, it's not just a matter of, of uh, you know, committing adultery. You mustn't look on a woman and all of these things. You're expecting that, but Jesus takes a different turn. And we'll see in a minute why what, what Jesus is doing. So Jesus says, <clears throat> when Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack Sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, the law says nothing about this at all. It's got nothing about selling what you have. It's not wrong to be rich. Um, Is it wrong to be wealthy? 
Well, no, the Bible never says it's wrong to be wealthy. In fact, when Paul is writing to some of the churches, he says, you know, some of you, some of you are, are, are well off and doesn't condemn them for that. So what's the problem here? The problem here um, is that it's become an idol in his heart. Um, he, he's, he's proud and he's uh, conceited. That's the, the, the problem here. But often we overlook the purpose of what this statement is for and we concentrate on the wealth, which isn't really what this is about, as we'll see the whole parable. What's the most important part of this command of Jesus? Not, it's not the wealth, is it? What is it? Sorry? Obedience? Following Jesus. Exactly. It's following Jesus. And actually... Uh, this is this is really important because uh, you think of what it would take for him to follow Jesus. Jesus has got a bunch of ragtag, you know, ex-fishermen and and, and people who are following him, uh, a poor group of people. And if this guy was going to join them, which is what Jesus is doing, he's telling literally, follow me. He couldn't do it. He would actually have to give up everything to follow Jesus, practically speaking. Um, he's a member of the ruling class. He would have to give that up, uh, give up his position as a ruler in order to follow Jesus. And so I want to say the primary thing here is not, oh, you know, wealthy people should give up their wealth. No, it's whatever it takes for you to follow Jesus, whatever is in the way of you following Jesus, no matter how big the sacrifice, it has to be made. This was the blocker for him in the way of him following Jesus. And we're going to, uh, we're going to see Jesus is replacing the law, following the law with following him. Jesus said, we're going to see he's setting up a contrast between keeping the commands of Moses and following him personally. This would get him into a lot of trouble. The Jews venerated the law of Moses like many religious groups today venerate their scripture, almost to the point of it being deified. Can you imagine someone standing in the central square of Saudi Arabia and saying, stop following the laws of Muhammad, follow me instead. Would that go down well? It would not go down well. Or or with any other religious group which has a high value on their scriptures the way the Jews had a value. It wasn't just a high value. It was almost worshipping their scriptures. And what Jesus is saying is actually... That won't get you eternal life. It's following me that will get you eternal life. And we'll see this in a minute much more explicitly. Um, so no wonder they wanted to kill him. We need to feel the force of how shocking this is. I'm trying to get you to understand how shocking this was that Jesus said it. No wonder they wanted to kill him. Uh, we also need to see how Jesus related the Old Testament to the New we don't follow the law of Moses anymore. We follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean to say we can kill and steal and commit adultery. It's because uh, Jesus also tells us that. In fact, Jesus' demands are more so than those commands. So, um, 
So now we come to the core of this parable. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was extremely wealthy. When Jesus noticed this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? So, verse 23, he's very upset. Why is he upset? Because he loves his wealth, but it's something more than that. Um, What do you think he was hoping that Jesus was going to say as an answer to his question? Can you imagine what he was expecting as an answer? Yeah? Yeah, okay, you're good, you're in, you've done everything. But but actually, in those days, in that culture, it would be like fund something, build a synagogue, like fund some great thing, you know, pay for a campaign for me, white horses for all of my followers. You know, that was the kind of thing um, that they would they would see as God as pleasing God. He wants something great to do. He wants Jesus to give him some great task and then he'll throw himself into it. Um, and uh, what Jesus is saying is, no, give up all of your status. Give up the greatness that you want and actually become one of my followers. And so uh, so this was the, the core of the challenge. This is why he was sad. So here we have a camel. Um what does Jesus mean by the eye of a needle? Can somebody tell me what does Jesus mean by the camel going through an eye of a needle? Anybody know? Impossible task? Well, you know, let me tell you what Jesus means by the eye of a needle. He means the eye of a needle. This is a Roman needle. It's made of bone. It's about, it's about this long. And needles were quite common in those days. And they all have a hole, which is the eye. Um, and the whole point is that um, it's not possible. Could you get a smelly great camel through a little hole like that? No, not at all. And when we see the response of the people, they say it's impossible. But, you know, um, there have been attempts to weaken this story throughout history. And if you think that fake news is a new thing, then it's it's not. It's nearly nearly 200 years ago. Back in 1835, there was a man who was exploring Israel and someone told him there was a little door in one of the towns that was called the Needle's Eye. And in order for camels to get through, they had to squeeze right down and and kind of go through them. And he said he'd heard about this. He didn't know if it was true or not. And he was going to investigate and he'd send the next letter back to England to tell him whether he found it or not. Well... The guy, um, when he got the letter, he was the editor of a magazine and he published the story in the magazine. And uh, uh, soon after that, he got another letter saying, no, such a door didn't exist. It was, it was somebody told him, but it didn't actually exist. But it was too late. The damage was done. The fake news was out. And you see, like I just tried Googling to see Eye of the Needle. And you can see still today, people show you pictures of tiny doors because the fake news is still out there. Let me tell you, there is no archaeological evidence or historical evidence or any kind of evidence of Jesus meaning anything but this. 
in this, this account. And the bystanders understood this. Their mentality was, uh, rich men build synagogues, they build orphanages, they build all of these, these wonderful things, they support the poor, they support the temple. Anyone, if anyone's saved, it's surely these people who are saved. Uh, Jesus said, such people can't enter the kingdom of God. So they say, well, who can be saved then? If these people can't be saved, who can be saved? We common people don't have the wealth to do this sort of thing. And then we have the new idea introduced. It is possible with God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And here we have the turning point in the whole episode, the miraculous intervention of God. And now I'm going to go to probably the most important scripture slide that I've got, where I've got everything in color on one, well, the whole central section in one sheet. And I want to show you how it all matches up. And this is just how beautiful it is. So in green here, verse 22, Jesus heard this. He said, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and give to the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely wealthy. So this is the new obedience, and then it's um, he, he can't do it. When Jesus noticed this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So that's the center. Then we have a reflection of verse 23. Those who heard it agreed with the man who can be saved. Then we have uh, Jesus What's impossible with men is impossible with men is possible with God. So essentially then we have it negated and then we end up then. Peter says, look, we have left everything to follow you. Now, sometimes we know Peter is impetuous and jumps in. I don't think that's happening here. I think Peter's making just a simple statement here, which is very important and it's key. Because what he's actually doing is showing that it's, it's possible. Like, is possible for follow Jesus. We've left everything to follow you. And this matches statement 20 and 22. He says, follow me. And this is why I think following Jesus is the core of this. Not, not so much the selling, but the following. Follow me. And Peter says, look, we have left everything, left everything to follow you. So um, now here, I think this is very, very interesting, and, I, and I'm, I'm, this is one of the most exciting things that I find about this, and the most challenging things. So this is the middle bit. If we look at what comes just before verse 22 there, just before the beginning, and just after the end, we find a really, really interesting symmetry. Um, the old requirements, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Amen, I say to you. Now, Jesus, only five times in Luke does he use this expression. Usually, it's translated, truly I say to you, or verily I say to you. Literally, it's amen, I say to you. It's a very strong thing. I'm going to say this right now. Amen, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of God's kingdom who will not receive. And he goes on. Wow. Five commands matched up with five commands. Wow. Wow. Jesus, what are you doing? 
You can't touch the Ten Commandments and make them point to you. What are you saying, Jesus? What Jesus is saying is the old requirements of don't steal each other's property. The new requirements is you might have to leave your own property behind if Jesus asked you to. The old requirements is leave your neighbor's wife alone. The new is you may lose your own wife. You know, she may not decide to follow Jesus. She may walk out on you. Honor your father and mother. Take care of them when when they're old. The new one is leave your father and mother in response to a higher loyalty, if that's what Jesus is calling you to do. Wow. Jesus, now not all five of them match up exactly like these ones do, but you can see what Jesus is doing, and I hope you can see some of the force of this now. This is radical. This is powerful stuff. This is the sort of thing Jesus died for. He's saying the Old Testament points to me. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the one Moses spoke of. John's gospel began, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John, Jesus is not contradicting Moses, he's going far beyond what Moses is calling you to do. So, uh, we're coming together now, I'm going to sum this up and pull this together and ask the last question is, how does this relate to you and I? So let's look at this question, how to get eternal life. There's no one who's left all of those things who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is interesting. I'm sure he doesn't mean if you've, you know, if you left one wife, you'll get many more wives, but you know, it's the idea, you know, you Jesus is no one's debtor. And if you left stuff to follow Jesus, even in this life, you'll get blessing. Even in this life, God says, I'm no one's debtor. Now, this might not turn out to be financial, directly financial blessing, but blessings of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and achievement and so on. So this is how it concludes. The ruler said, what do I do? Jesus says it's impossible to earn it. It takes a miracle and then you will receive it. Do you get that? A key difference in the dynamic. The, the ruler wants to do something. Jesus says you'll receive the eternal life when this miracle has happened. So this is, these are the key ideas that I want you to get. Three key ideas here that I want you to get. Keeping the law is replaced with following Jesus. That's a strong word. But that's what it is. That doesn't mean to say the law is irrelevant because, you know, Jesus goes further than that. Jesus demands everything. And the third point is this is impossible unless God does it. Do you get that? Can you see the force of this parable? Can you see the force of what is being said here? Um, this is, I think, for me, this is the, the um, probably the 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 most exciting of all of the parables. It's the most powerful of all of the parables. And I want to ask then um, how we can take this into ourselves. So let's just look at um, the, the new obedience. He replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, look, we have left everything we have to follow you. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, there's no one 
who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So I want to ask you as we close here, did Jesus deceive people about the cost of following him? Did he deceive people? No, he didn't. Jesus is very straightforward. Some people that think think that Christianity, being a Christian is about keeping some rules. But absolutely not. I hope it's been clear from this parable. It's about following a person. Which is easier? Is it easier to keep rules or follow a person? Well, rules only affect the areas of life where they touch. But Jesus uh, leaves no area of our lives untouched. So what are we to do? Are we to sell everything that we have? Are we? Well, if necessary, yeah, if necessary, in the early church, there was a, there was desperate need of, of people, uh, of hunger and people did sell what they had. Um, uh, but principally, it's a mind statement. You know, when you get your bank statement, you don't look at it and say, oh, this is how much money I have in my bank. You say, this is how much money Jesus has in my bank. Do you get the difference? Uh, when you're shopping, you say, uh, shall I use God's money to buy this? You, your resources, what do I spend God's time on today? It, everything you have belongs to you. And it's a broad message. Um, selling all you have was one example, um, but Jesus gave, gives these others here in verse 29. And so he, he widens it out in verse 29 to, to other verses, uh, to other things. And, um, that we might have to lose for the sake of following him. And the principle is that there are things that hinder us or, or um, there are things we've taken on that hinder us from following Jesus. And I want to ask you if there's anything in your life right now that's hindering you following Jesus with all your heart. It could be that it's some sin that's in your life. It could be that it's something that you're doing that you know is wrong and it's keeping you from following Jesus. It could be some habits that you're a slave to that are not habits that Jesus wants you to be in. It could be a relationship you're in which you know you shouldn't be in. But And if you're following Jesus, then you would not be in that relationship. It could be financial goals like this man uh, it could be your work, the kind of work that you do, or, you know, maybe it's, it's, uh, you've made a god out of your career, and that's actually what you're following rather than following Jesus. Are you prepared to leave it behind? Are you prepared to leave it behind? Well, you have to make a decision whether you are, want to or not, but you might say, well, I can't. And actually, that's the right answer. I want to, but I can't, is the right answer. Because the answer is, and this is so important, the answer is that it's supernatural. A supernatural. Uh, and there's a promise here that God, what is impossible with men is, is possible with God. And where are you, when you're at that place saying, God, I want to do this, but I can't, you're in a good place. Because that's when you can bring it to him. Um, just... Um, Going back to 
some similarity between us and this rich, rich young ruler is that we live in a comfortable society. We live in an incredible comfortable society. Even like not that long ago, Anne and I went to a logging museum and one of the things that struck us was like how how tough life was for them back then. In fact, anywhere, life was tough. A hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, incredibly tough. People died so easily. And people lived short, painful lives. And we have such comfort. And we become addicted to our comfort. And often it's that that keeps us from really following Jesus. What's holding you back right now? What's holding you back? You know, even um, uh, sometimes people who are not Christians can put us to shame in the way they follow their goals. Like, for example, sporting goal. If you want to become an athlete, you have to basically commit everything, like your food, your exercise, your time, your sleep, your everything you do. You have to totally commit everything that you do utterly to that goal of the Olympics or whatever it is. And people are prepared to do that. That's the kind of commitment that Jesus is looking for at this time. That's the kind of thing that he wants for you. Um, maybe you're not following him at all. Maybe you're, you're thinking about Christianity, but you're not following Jesus. And this is a a choice here that you can make. You can say, oh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I can't, Lord. You have to, you have to enable me to, and he will. If you ask him, if you tell him you want to follow him and you ask him to change you so that you, you, you will, then he will do that. He'll give you a new heart that wants to follow him supernaturally. So as we close, I want to ask, I want to challenge all of us whether God is speaking to any of us right now. We're going to pray right now. We're going to ask this for, for, for God to just whisper into our hearts what he's taught, speaking to us about this morning. It's different for each of us. And we're going to ask for him to change us, to make us willing, but also to do a miracle, because being willing is not enough. So let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you for this parable. And Lord, we are, we are, Lord, we are challenged by what you're asking us to do. And we, we pray, Lord, right now through your spirit, you'll just prompt us what we need to give up right now to follow you. We just prompt us. Put it in our hearts, Lord. And Lord, we thank you. It's not about our performance, but you can give us the supernatural strength to do this. Please do it, Lord, we pray. Your power come on us to change us so that we have your new life in us and we will follow you. You will give up everything, put everything beneath our goal of following you. Thank you for your promise to us. In Jesus' name, amen.